Well, good morning. Today, as we come to the Word of God, it is a very serious responsibility to teach, and we take that very seriously. It is the central aspect of our worship services here. And when we come to the Word, we know that it is God's infallible and inspired Word. It does not err, and it is His direct communication with us. It is God's love letter to His people, and it's the story of redemption. And so we take it very seriously. Um, Before we begin preaching, it is always a good practice for us to pray. So join me as we go before the Lord. Father, this morning we stand in awe of you. Lord, there is hurt on every pew this morning. There is turmoil in every life that is present here. There is anxiety in every heart. And yet you stand atop it all as the great conductor, the great orchestrator of all things, sovereign over all. And yet so intimately aware of all that is going on in our lives, you care for your people. And God, you have placed us in community. You have placed us in fellowship so that we might bear one another's burdens. We might help each other out. We might be there in the midst of that turmoil for one another as your representatives. And so, Lord, as we come to your word this morning, as we grapple with bearing one another's burden, we ask that you would bless this time. Father God, be ever present in our lives, illuminate this scripture in our hearts, and may we be transformed by the very hearing of your word, because it is powerful. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Galatians chapter 6 is where we are going to be. Galatians chapter 6. If you have a pew Bible, that's page 1816. Now, I don't know if you have ever hit a slump in your career where you can't focus on work. I don't know if you've ever been at a period, maybe it's a week, maybe it's longer, where you just have difficulty focusing in on what you have to do. But recently, I had a period like that at the beginning of this month. The the cause of that, the reason for that was that the Tour de France was on. Um, I don't know if any of you are avid Tour de France viewers or cyclists in general, but I fancy myself as a cyclist. I've shared that with you before. And the Tour de France really distracted me from my work because it starts at about 7 in the morning and then ends at about 11. And so all of my mornings were occupied by watching the Tour de France in my office. I probably shouldn't be admitting that up here, but I, I feel like I need to tell you the truth. It was difficult for me to focus because for 23 days, 170 to 180 cyclists were cycling all across Europe. Uh, In fact, they covered 2,068 miles in this tour, which is absolutely incredible. There are 21 stages that span 23 days, and there's about 20 teams in the Tour de France. And that's one of the big dynamics that people don't understand is that cycling is actually a team sport. And so when you watch the Tour de France, you see people in similar jerseys riding similar bikes, and they are actually teammates. Uh, there's a huge team dynamic going on. In fact, each teammate ha- or each team has about eight people on it, and the teammates are specialized in certain fields. So you have the teammates who are climbers, and when they get to these big mountains like the Alpe d'Huez, they just breeze up these mountains. It's incredible to watch. Then you have sprinters, guys who that on a flat course uh, just launch like a missile and they just fly by everyone else and they just breeze past people. You have punchers or people who are really good at rolling hills like we have in Traveler's Rest and the surrounding areas of Greenville. But you have a really interesting role on a cycling team, one that I, I think is pretty neat. Um, it's called a domestique. 
And a domestique, you might know hotel domestique, but a domestique is a special cyclist. They, they are a jack of all trades, if you will. And what they do, you can always tell a domestique because when another cyclist has gone through a very difficult time, when another cyclist has used all their energy up and is downtrodden and not sure if they're going to make it to the end of a stage, a domestique will pull up beside the cyclist and they will literally place their hand on the back of the cyclist and push them along through the difficulty. They will push them along through the loss of energy. They will push them along up a hill, um, through a sprint, whatever it might be. But a domestique is a helper. They come alongside other people who need help, who have um, utilized all of their energy, who have done their very best and they are at their wits end. And a domestic comes up alongside of them and helps them through the difficulties of the stage. In the book of Galatians, in chapter six today, we have a, a short verse. We're only going to look at one verse. It's 10 to 15 words, depending on which translation you are using today. It's 13 words in the NIV. But we are called to be a certain type of domestique. And so we're going to look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, very short. It's going to be on the screens, but it says this. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. It's so short that I'm going to read it again. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. You and I find ourselves living in a very unique time in history. Uh, We are living in a very unique culture. We are in post-postmodernism. We have seen the downfall of postmodernism. We have seen society implode on itself. And we are living in uncertain times. We're not actually sure how this thing is going to play out. But here in the South, we live in this thing called the Bible Belt. Is anyone familiar with that term? We know that term. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty ubiquitous term. So we live in the Bible Belt. And what that means is that we are inundated with Christian values. We are used to seeing churches on every street corner. We are not um, amazed or blown away when we see someone saying a blessing over their meal in a public space. And we have vaguely Christian values at our workplaces. It's the zeitgeist of the day. Christianity is the air we breathe here in the South. Now, there's another factor that we need to talk about, because along with Christian values, we have this very unique trend of American individualism. America is an individualistic society. It's a uniquely Western feel to it. And we even value rugged individualism, don't we? The the pull yourself up by your bootstraps. We love when stories of people who have ascended from one socioeconomic status to another by grit and hard work, by rise and grind culture, and we even have the birth of hustle culture. We love when we hear about people who have um, pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and done it all on their own. And we want that for our own lives. We want to climb the corporate ladder. We want to do better. And what has happened is somewhere along the way, these two ideas, the Christian zeitgeist and American individualism, have intertwined and created a very unique and oddly Western form of Christianity. We have a very unique form of Christianity here in the West that focuses on what we like to call the vertical. It's your relationship between you and Jesus. And oftentimes we neglect the horizontal aspect of what Jesus calls us to do with our neighbors. 
You see, we're so focused on it's just me and Jesus. My relationship is God and me and no one else. That oftentimes we neglect how we are called to relate to one another. And that brings us to Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. In this, we get a very unique Greek word, the allel, um, or allelo, depending on where you find it in Scripture. This word shows up 59 times in the New Testament, allel or allelo, and it means one another. It means reciprocity. It means together. The allels of Scripture are the practical outworking of the Christian life. I'm going to say that again. The allels of Scripture, the 59 allels of Scripture, are the practical outworking of the Christian life. And if we are going to live out our faith in a practical way where the rubber meets the road, it begins with the allels of Scripture. And we come to one of those today. It says this, carry allel or carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. You and I are called to carry the burdens of one another. Let's do a little history lesson on the book of Galatia, and then we'll dive into this. Um, as you recall, I know you guys are all familiar with Galatia and that area, but Galatia is not a specific city. Uh, it is a region. It is similar to the Bible Belt. Galatia is a massive region, in fact, in the ancient Near East, or was a massive region in the ancient Near East. And what was going on in the Galatian church is that Paul passed through that area on one of his missionary journeys. He planted several churches along the way, and following behind Paul were a group of people that did not like Paul called the Judaizers. They were arguing that Paul has manipulated and twisted Christianity into something that it is not. And so they were going behind Paul and saying that in order to be a Christian, you had to first become a Jew. That in order to be a Christian, you had to be circumcised. That in order to be a Christian, you had to follow the law of Torah. And that you had to practice religious festivals and observances. And they were taking this this simple Christianity, the simple message of grace that the Apostle Paul had, the simple message of love, love God and love one another, and they were twisting it to something far more complex and something that was a hollow replacement for Christianity. I think sometimes you and I can relate to that. I think sometimes you and I are... So caught up in a list of do's and don'ts in our faith. We're so caught up in a list of rules and observances in our faith that we forget the simplicity of the gospel, that it is love God and love one another. That God has called us to one, love him with all of our hearts and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And instead, we we substitute simple obedience to those two commands for a list of do's and don'ts. And what that results in is you and I, one, live in a legalistic limbo where we are following rules. Uh, and when we don't follow those rules, we are fearful that God is going to judge us. And so Christianity comes for, becomes for us a scary religion instead of a true loving relationship. And this is what the Judaizers were planting in the churches in Galatia, and it infuriated the Apostle Paul. In fact, at the first uh, chapter of the book of Galatians, he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? If anyone comes to you preaching a different gospel, let them be anathema or accursed. It is some of the strongest language the Apostle Paul uses because he's furious. Because the call of the gospel is simple. Love God and love one another. 
love God and love one another. So let's look at this verse again. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Andy Stanley said that the early church, their primary responsibility was one anothering one another. That's how important these 59 allels are to the scriptures. They are the practical outworking of our Christian faith. First Presbyterian, if we're going to transform the heart of the city, if we're going to be serious about our mission, if we're going to see people saved, if we're going to be recognized as different, it looks like the 59 allels working themselves out. And today we have this special allel that is linked to fulfilling the law of Christ Bear one another's burdens. That's simple. That's simple. In fact, I I wrestle with how much more I can say about this. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Are you bearing the burdens of one another? Are we, as believers, in fellowship with one another, bearing each other's burdens? You're very smart people. I don't feel the need to explain what bearing each other's burdens looks like. Are we bearing the burdens of one another? Are you bearing the burdens of one another? And thus fulfilling the law of Christ. Are you? Um, Our application today is twofold. This is a very simple, very simple lesson. Um, One, are you bearing the burdens of one another? I've been a pastor for 12 years now. Um, Been a Christian for about 20 years And here's what I can faithfully and confidently say. There are far more burdens in this room than we are willing to lead on. There is far more turmoil and hurt and pain and anxiety and question marks in our lives than we're willing to admit. And people, um, as a pastor, people trust us intrinsically. I don't know if that's a good idea or not, but, but it's the reality. People trust us intrinsically, and so we hear things that people say that they open up about that they don't open up about with other people. But the reality is we love to wear the mask because we have been conditioned at some point that we need to have our lives together and our act together, right? We've been conditioned that way. Here's a very simple illustration for that. Somebody asks you, hey, how you doing? What's your response? Good. Fine. My marriage is falling apart. My career is on fire. My kids are wayward. I'm in debt. Credit cards are burning me up, but I'm I'm good. I'm good. And we have convinced ourselves that we need to look a certain way. We need to act a certain way in order to be accepted and loved. And the reality is, um, Shelton used to tell me all the time that there is hurt on every pew. There is hurt in every row, and that is the reality of the gospel. That is the reality of the condition that we find ourselves in right now, is that there is hurt on every pew. And here's my question. How are you bearing the burden of others? How are you bearing the burden of others? One of the things that I love here is that a lot of the pastors carve out time in their schedule. Usually it's the lunch hour, but they carve out time to meet with people in order to hear their stories and help them bear their burdens. But the reality is it's not simply the pastor's jobs. It is our jobs, but it's also your job. Your job is to help bear the burdens of one another. And there's practical implications in ways we can do this. We talked about several of those earlier, the Hollis Academy book drive. 
If you want a practical way to help bear burdens is pick up one of those book drive um, flyers on the way out and buy some books for people. Pick up as many as you can, as many as you can afford, because there are people who are hurting. There are people with burdens. There are schools with burdens, places with burdens, and we can do something about it. So here's my question. Why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we helping bear burdens? Um, I have a friend couple that I recently hit it off with. My wife and I hit it off with and we've been hanging out and um, they told me that they have an extra space and they have an extra room in their house that they just bought. And so they are inviting a young lady, a single mother um, to an infant child to come live with them that they are going to provide childcare for her, that they are going to help her get a job, and that while she is getting back on their feet, that she can live there as long as she wants to. And in my mind, I was blown away. And so I'm not sure where this couple stands on their faith. We haven't gotten to that point yet in our friendship. But um, I, I finally asked the lady, I said, why are you doing that? And she said, well, we have extra space, and I'm just loving someone as I want to be loved. And it's one of those moments, um, we call them Kairos moments around here, but it's one of those moments where God took a crowbar to my heart and, and really opened me up and it burdened me all day because I felt this huge conviction. Because listen, I have emotional bandwidth. I'm an introvert. I can't have somebody living in my house. I need my alone time. And yet the call of the gospel is to bear one another's burdens. Why does that seem like such a big example to me? Why does it seem so radical that someone, instead of consuming and buying more stuff and filling up this bedroom with just boxes and junk and whatever, why is it so radical that this couple is inviting someone to come live in their house for a season? That's the call of Christianity. Bear one another's burdens. I think a lot of times you and I suffer from what's called the bystander effect. Um, in 1964, there was a, an infamous murder case, and it was um, a 28-year-old lady named Kitty Genovese. Kitty Genovese lived in New York City and was murdered. That's just a slow Tuesday in New York. But um, what was interesting about this case is that there were dozens of witnesses. There were dozens of witnesses to a murder, and no one did a thing. And it led to this development of this idea called the bystander effect. And, and it's two main factors. One is the diffusion of responsibility. And two is the social influence aspect. And if you put those two things together, you get the bystander effect. And what that looks like is this. You see a need, but you go, you, you look at it and you say, well, somebody else will take care of that. Somebody else will do it. Oh, I, I see a burden, but somebody else will take care of that thing. Surely the church can take care of that. There's 3,000 people at the church. They have a several million dollar budget. They can do it. I don't need to worry about that. I've got my own thing going on. And the reality is the gospel calls you this morning. The gospel calls you to bear the burdens of one another. The gospel calls you, and are you willing to answer the call to bear one another's burdens? The second application is this. Um... We can't bear your burdens if you are not open and honest. We can't, as a church, bear your specific burdens because you have things going on in your life. You have hurt, you have pain, you have insecurities, you have um, fill-in-the-blank, whatever it might be. But we can't bear your burdens if we don't know you. 
you know, we promote this idea of fellowship and discipleship so much. And we're not just doing that to hear ourselves talking. We're doing that because we want to know you and we want to help you through life because life is hard and it will mess you up. And you can't do it alone. No man is an island. There's an ancient Chinese proverb that goes like this. Um, Only a fool laughs when he's on fire. That's that's wisdom right there. Only a fool laughs when he's on fire. You know what a smart person does when they're on fire? They say, someone help me. I'm on fire. All right. Some of you, let's just be honest real quick. And I know it's hard because we already talked about the mask and the rugged individualism and you don't want to do this, but we're going to be real nitty gritty right now. Some of your lives are on fire. Some of your lives are on fire and you're trying to take care of it yourself. And I've got to ask you, I've got to doctor fill you for a second and ask you, how's that working out for you? How's that addiction going? How's that sin that you've struggled with for a decade going? Because you're trying to handle it on your own. You don't want to open up to your pastors. You don't want to open up to your Bible study group. You don't even want to be involved in fellowship because you fear that they might find you out. And the reality is, as long as we're wearing a mask, no one truly knows who you are. As long as we're wearing that mask, no one truly knows who you are. And the call of the gospel this morning is to get plugged into fellowship and be truly known. Because we can't bear your burdens if we don't know you. In a moment of honesty, I fell into a very, very deep depression about a year ago. Couldn't get out of bed for about three days. Just sat in bed. Didn't want to get out. My daughter was supposed to be in school. I didn't take her to school like I was supposed to. Um, she played on an iPad all day while I neglected my responsibilities because I was depressed. I couldn't, I couldn't shake it. And I kept thinking, I have to handle this on my own. I have to get out of this thing on my own. And it wasn't until my wife and some people from the church and some good friends came together and helped me through that that I was able to make it through my own depression. I was in the pit of despair, despairing of my own life, and I had to have people come alongside of me and help me through it. And surely, surely there will be times in your life where you need someone to come alongside of you, and without fellowship, it's not going to happen. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. In Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus was confronted by a group of Pharisees, um, they, they said to him, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And then he said something interesting that blew everyone away. He said, and another one is just like it. He was elevating the second commandment, this another one, to the level of the first commandment. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm going to be very honest with you. I'm not trying to be cute right now. I love myself a lot. Uh, I, I do. And the reality is you probably love yourself a lot as well. I take time for myself. I care for myself. I, I want to make sure I am healthy and whole. Am I loving my neighbor in that way? Am I loving my neighbor as much as I love myself? Am I bearing their burdens? And so, so here's our application today, twofold. One, are you bearing the burdens of those around you? Are you doing that? Are you carving out time? Are you being intentional? Are you using your skills and your talents, your knowledge to help people out? Are you coming alongside of people in difficult seasons of life? Are you preparing meals? Are you letting people borrow your tools? What is it? There's a million ways to bear one another's burdens. But the simple call of the gospel is do it. Do it. Do something. 
Are you bearing one another's burdens? And two, are you letting others bear your burdens? Or are we too busy wearing the mask? Are we too busy holding on to keeping status quo and convincing everyone we're fine while we're burning alive? And so what are you going to do today? What are your action steps? Or in ECO, we say, what are your next flourishing steps? How are you going to get involved in fellowship so that you can be known and you can know others? There's plenty of ways to do it. Diana stood up here earlier and talked about some. There's several ways at this church. If, if you don't know how to get involved, if you don't know how to be deeper in fellowship in this church, there are plenty of people who would love to talk to you. You can find me after the service, Stan, any of the pastors, any of the elders and deacons would love to help you out. But what are your next flourishing steps? This is the call of the gospel in our lives this morning. Let us pray. Father, this morning we are <clears throat> hopefully convicted. Convicted by your word, because, Father, we all fail in these areas. Whether it be that we're not bearing one another's burdens, or maybe we are. Maybe we're bearing other people's burdens, but we're not letting anyone bear ours. But, Father God, whichever way it is, I pray that you would convict our hearts and help us to know our next flourishing steps. Give us discernment on where we should go next, Father. Give us discernment on how to dive deeper into fellowship, how to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, how to draw nearer to you and nearer to others. We don't have to do this alone. We're not alone. And so, Father, I pray that we would understand that, that we would take steps to not be alone. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.